I watched David speak and he's like, got this purple journal and he stands up front with this like little purple journal on. Candidly, I was in judgment. My eyes rolled back in my head. I'm like, here we go. Like this dude's got a purple journal. What did I sign up for? And he starts talking about goals and vision and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, maybe there's something here. And he's like, you got to have goals. I'm like, yeah, I got goals for my life. I know what I want. I you know, want to be a millionaire by the age 30. Like I had some, like some goals, uh, but not like written down. Like he has not like I have today. And then he talked about his vision board. I'm like, you alluded to, what's your vision? And uh, he said, this was my vision board. And somebody raises their hand like, wait, why was that your vision? He's like, because all of this has come true. So my wife's drawn another one. Oh my God, buy a purple journal, make a vision board, like do all these things, right? Because I'm like, if it worked for him, it can work for me. Why not? And so I think like the, the biggest thing I did, Jake, was I had a vision for my life. And then I had the courage and the support for my wife to choose when things showed up for me. So I had this vision and when things cho- showed up, I just chose. You are listening to the Passive Wealth Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Harris. And when I'm not hosting this podcast, I'm the founder of an award-winning real estate investment firm and actively investing in commercial real estate all over the country. This show allows me to interview dive deeper and deconstruct many passive wealth principles, not just from investing, but tactics, strategies, and many fascinating ways in which people have achieved levels of passive wealth. Through my nearly 20-year career as a professional investor, I've built an amazing network of people and come across some super savvy investors. Not only do they have a unique stance on the marketplace, but look at the same problems we all face and many times have come up with a simple but unconventional approach to solving them. This is why I'm so excited for this podcast. It allows me to unpack and have a more in-depth conversations with these special guests. Selfishly, it's a platform where I get to ask the questions that would never come up in a normal conversation and I get a chance to learn and dissect their best strategies and you get to be a part of that process as well. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversations and these amazing passive wealth principle lessons. Matt King, man, the myth, the legend, amazing interview that I'm going to dive into that you're going to get an opportunity to hear about how action, how vision can lead to being part of a nine-figure family office, real estate investors, becoming a chief everything officer, a 23-year-old kid, just being not necessarily the right place at the right time. And he's going to say things that about luck, but through action. And not only that, wait until you hear about the crazy and interesting story about bull riding, bull riding and how that pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. I'm super excited for this episode. Wait until you get a chance to hear and learn more from Matt King in this episode of Catching Knives. Oh my gosh, I'm super excited to have Matt King. It's actually like the man, the myth, the legend. For people that don't know Matt King, you're um, kind of like a, a mythical unicorn the status that people are always talking about. Oh, I need a Matt King. I need a Matt King. That is in reference to you being the, the chief everything officer for, uh, for David Osborne, you know, a, a nine figure investor and, and um, 
know, big real estate agent in the KW world, and you kind of run everything behind the scenes. But I'd like to start with, you know, a little bit for people's sake, your origin story. How does a kid from Wisconsin end up running this nine figure business, you know, flying around on private jets um, and, you know, bull riding in Austin, Texas? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me, man. I'm really excited to be on with you and always love the time I get to spend with you and learn from you and um, excited to uh, be sharing my story with your audience. You know, I always tell people it was dumb luck. That's the the cop-out answer, so I don't have to talk that long because I'm not super crazy social. Um, the truth is, is uh, I was born and raised in Wisconsin, small town, uh, just north of Milwaukee come from a really good middle-class family. My parents are amazing people. Um, dad's been at the same company for almost 40 years. Mom's run the chamber of commerce in the small town I'm from for actually this week was 20 years. Um, they did a huge celebration for her, which I'm really proud of her for. And just a small town, um, super competitive growing up, always an athlete, never really did well with accepting the first answer I was given. Um, one of the things that I just applaud my parents immensely for was if we wanted something, it was always ours to go get, but we had to figure it out. So I, I like still to this day, remember when we would come home from school on like a Friday night and I'd say like, Hey, can we have pizza tonight? My mom would say, sure. You know where the phone book is. And like, we'd have to call pizza hut or we'd have to call Domino's and we'd have to order. And so, you know, here you are like a 10 year old kid, you're nervous, like, Oh, could I please have a 14 inch? And it started to give me the courage and the confidence that if I had a choice in my life, I was the one that got to choose if it wasn't for me or not. Like I got to do it. Now that backfired a little on them when I figured out how to buy a motorcycle off of eBay at age 18 and a lime green crotch rocket showed up in the front yard when my dad was cutting the grass. But, you know, they were always just like, you know, if you want something, go get it, like figure it out. Went to college for a little bit and started a business at the same time, printing custom shirts and vinyl signs. And one night it came down to, do I write this paper or do I print this 110 shirt order. And one of them was paying me 3000 bucks. And the other one was costing me 30,000 bucks. And I kind of just said, you know, school's not for me um, and decided to drop out. Hindsight, I might've wished I would have finished or even just taken my time to finish just to say I did it and to have it. Um, but it hasn't, you know, it's, it, it is what it is. Ran that little company for a while. My girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife said, Hey, I'm going to go teach in the inner city schools of DC. And I kind of said, great, I'll come with you. And she never really fully asked me. I actually talked to her about that the other day. I'm like, you never really asked me. She's like, oh no, I asked him. I'm like, yeah, he really didn't. Like, I kind of just said I was going. And, and it's like, I told somebody the other day, like I, without her, I don't know that I would have had the courage to ever leave that small town. Like I always wanted more and I always wanted bigger, but home was home. It was comfortable. And I was kind of like, I was kind of afraid to do it without somebody like her, without that support system, that rock. So we moved to Washington, DC. Um, she was going to school to get her master's to teach had had some money from my little business and decided to um, volunteer for the first two or three weeks we were out there. So I looked on Craigslist and I was like, you know, volunteer opportunities in Baltimore, Maryland, like, you know, see what's available. And I uh, found this camp for children with incarcerated parents, like $500 stipend for two weeks, like four hours a day, whatever. I'm like, Oh, that's perfect. I can walk there. We only had one car at the time. It just like checked all my boxes. So you know, here I go walking through Baltimore city to this camp and learned a lot from those kids, man. Talk about like struggle and success and geez, I mean, they've been through everything, right? Like it was just mind blowing. Um, and one day we had to take these kids to the inner cities of uh, Washington, DC, which they've never been to. It's like an hour and a half bus ride. They've never been. 
And so uh, I get assigned a, a co-chaperone for my group. And it's this, you know, white guy named Pat Hyman comes walking over. He's like, I'm Pat. I'm like, yeah. Hey, Pat, how are you? Like, nice to meet you. And we're sitting on the back of this yellow school bus. And, you know, here I am 23 years old. Like, you know, think I think I know what I don't know, but, you know, still very curious, still very learning based and kind of said to Pat, like, so what do you do? And he's like, oh, I'm a real estate investor. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? I'm like, oh, okay. And he's like, uh, yeah, I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. Like one of those guys say, like, here we go. And long story short, I just learned a ton from him that day, looked up his book, was like, okay, you are legit. Never wanted to be a real estate salesperson, but bought his book, Six Steps to Seven Figures, read it in a day, texted him, actually like Twitter messaged him and said like, I read your book. What would it take to have lunch with you or coffee with you? And like, holy shit, I just like saw you two days ago. Um, so just started to like, reach out to him. How can I learn? How can I learn? Like, what did you do? How did you become an entrepreneur? What does that mean? What's passive income? Uh, long story short, he hired me um, to help him sort of run his organization, which led to me help volunteering for GoBundance, which Jake, you're a member of, and you got to be one of the longest members of, I know, founding member of for sure, which led me to volunteer at a GoBundance event. One of the first ones we did in Orlando, Florida, he told me I was going to go volunteer at this event, this mastermind, they called it. I was like, what the hell is a mastermind? you know, small town kid. I didn't know this stuff. So I went to Orlando, slept on the couch, heard Ricky Williams speak about choice and awareness and curiosity and all these crazy, interesting things. And met this guy named David Osborne and was like, man, that guy's fascinating. Like I want to be like, be around people like that all the time. Uh, met David again at another event three or four months later and literally rewrote my five-year vision. Said I live in Austin, Texas. I work for David Osborne. Two weeks later, he called and said, what would it take to get you to Austin? I think you're talented. My world's kind of a mushroom cloud blowing up. And I said, I've never been to Texas. So my, my girlfriend and I flew here. She's not my wife, like I said, and been here ever since. All right. So you, you met David. It was a, a few months uh, later. You know, David, you know, we know David, you know, we have experience and obviously, you know him very, very well. And I, I think he references you as his his best friend. You've uh, kind of been the, on the inner circle of him today. But when you're 23, 24, you, you're working with Pat, you come down to this mastermind. You said you met him at a conference, uh, you know, a couple couple months later. What was that first impression? You know, because. I know for me, at least at 23, 24, like I was just like, ah, I got things figured out. And David has a, a I wouldn't say polarizing, but he just kind of, you know, uh, his energy, either visionary, people love him. I wouldn't say hate him, but he just gives a different vibe. What was your impression of him when you initially started uh, or connected with him these first few times? And then how did that transition to you becoming the, the chief everything officer? Yeah, well, first of all, that's the first time I've heard people don't like him. So we're going to have to talk about that later. But, uh, you know, I would say the first time I ever met him, I was like, I just saw somebody that like my soul resonated with. Like, I always kind of didn't feel like I fit in. I just always felt a little out of place. Like, I'm not super social. I kind of like to be like a lone wolf, do my own thing, keep my head down. I'm not one to like be super flashy in your face. And I always kind of just felt like out of place a little bit. And when I first met David, it was like something inside my being was like, that's one of you. Like, you know, that's kind of like part of you. And uh, it was super like subconscious, super unique. And then, of course, he's like super intense, right? Like he's a very intense, very hard charging entrepreneur. 
I remember we were in Orlando and like, we're like pouring people wine. Like I was on the go cruise. So you just kind of like, you know, serve however you can serve, like think of, you know, a, a waitress or a waiter at a, at a wedding. Like you're like, Hey, can I have an appetizer? Sure. Here you go. Like, I need this. Sure. Here you go. And I remember I was like pouring people wine and we opened another bottle of David's wine and I poured some into his glass. And then I poured some into Ricky Williams glass. And he like pulled me aside later. He's like, don't give him that expensive wine. He doesn't know the difference. That's for me and my friends. Oh, okay. Shoot. I didn't, I had no idea. Like, I'm sorry. And I just like knew that there was an intensity and energy with him. And then actually the next day they went golfing and him and his really good friend, Rock Thomas went golfing. And, uh, they're like, Hey, do you want to golf? Cause they knew I'd worked at a country club growing up. They knew I was a caddy and I loved to golf. And I said, I don't want to golf, but I'll lo- I'd love to caddy for you guys. I'm like caddy for us. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'll just ride on the bag, rake the traps, pull the pin, do whatever. I mean, like here I am this 23 year old kid standing on the back of the golf cart, hearing two super, super successful, hard charging entrepreneurs collide, collaborate, discuss, debate. And I'm like, man, who am I to be on this golf cart? This is amazing. But also while we were at the golf course, I got to see a different side of David, right? Like not the business figure, David, but the like servant side of David. Like one of the things that people don't often recognize is he's probably got one of the biggest servant hearts that I've ever seen to this day. There's days when I walk out of his house and he'll grab my lunch bag. I'm like, what are you doing? dude?" He's like, you help me so much. Just let me help you carry your lunch out. Like just little things like that. I mean, like, it's just, it's just like, it's super special. And so I knew he was different and I felt like a connection to him in a way. Like I kind of found somebody that, March to the beat similar to my drum and that excited me that was cool to me and so then just i was you know subconsciously attracted to who he was and who he was becoming started following him listening to him etc and then started implementing some of the things he preached and once i did that and i saw my life start to change i was like oh my gosh that's where the gold is yeah and that's i guess um when i say that is i don't know that people dislike david is the, the intensity of it like a lot of people like are intimidated by that. I think it is, or they think, Oh, this guy's just after money or, and, and, and just, you know, in general, I think go abundance or guys that are kind of these alpha that are, you know, trying to always win. And that's why I feel like there's a, a kinship that you and I have is very much like I always kind of have to win. And it's just like, you know, I, I hate losing. Like it doesn't matter what it is. It's like, let's go throw things on the lawn. And I'm just like upset if I lose. Uh, and even as a kid playing sports, like you couldn't talk to me for like hours after a thing. If we lost a game, like I was just, I was beside myself. I know they're like, well, it's not your fault. You know, like Johnny, you know, kicked it and didn't turn the double play or do something. I was like, yeah, but, ah, you know, it's like so angry. So, and I say David's intensity sometimes that people don't know him very much. So there's very few people, almost no one I know that got to know him or knows him on that thing. They say the same thing, like, man, he's super like passionate, but he's also got this kind, kind heart. Yeah. No, I was just, I was just messing with you, man. Yeah, I know you were, but so like you're in DC and you meet David, you see these craziness, this passion and, and who he are, who he is. Tell me about some of the things that made that transition for you moving from DC, convincing your wife, you know, some of your vision, you know, board, because I think this is very, very, very important because one of the things I talk about is, is mindset. 
every limitation that exists in our life is our own individual mind. And you did some very unique things and maybe the universe or some things with apartment uh, helped uh, usher those on. So what, what were some of those things that you did that ushered you out of DC to, to Texas? Yeah. So the first thing was I started writing a five-year vision. Like I started to have a vision for my life beyond this week or next week or this month, or even this year, I was like, man, what has to happen in five years for my life to be epic? And it wasn't like, just like, oh, I got a new car. It was like, crystal clear. My body fats, this, my kids' names are this, et cetera. Like I got super clear with my five-year vision. And it was something that they preached at these events I was volunteering at these go abundance events. Like Pat had a five-year vision. David had a five-year vision. Everybody had a vision. And I'm like, okay, here's all these successful entrepreneurs. Success leaves clues. So I'm just going to take what they do and just use it. Right. Like I heard somebody the other day that said, like, if you want to do what great people are doing, and great can be your own definition, whether it's a writer or a reader or a golfer or an entrepreneur, just do what they do. Like copying is the greatest form of flattery. So I remember like, I was like you, Jake, I was a super competitive athlete and um, I watched David speak and he's like, got this purple journal and he stands up front with this like little purple journal on. Candidly, I was in judgment. My eyes rolled back in my head. I'm like, here we go. Like this dude's got a purple journal. What did I sign up for? And he starts talking about goals and vision and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, maybe there's something here. And he's like, you got to have goals. I'm like, yeah, I got goals for my life. I know what I want. I you know, want to be a millionaire by the age 30. Like I had some like some goals, um, but not like written down like he has, not like I have today. And then he talked about his vision board. I'm like, you alluded to, what's your vision? And uh, he said, this was my vision board. And somebody raises their hand like, wait, why was that your vision? He's like, because all of this has come true. So my wife's drawn another one. I'm like, oh my God, buy a purple journal, make a vision board, like do all these things, right? Because I'm like, if it worked for him, it can work for me. Why not? And so I think like the, the biggest thing I did, Jake, was I had a vision for my life. And then I had the courage and the support for my wife to choose when things showed up for me. So I had this vision. And when things cho- showed up, I just chose. Like, I remember we were in Florida with my wife's family and they're really good friends. And we were sitting in the pool and I'm like, yeah, I think we're going to move to Texas to work for this guy. And I remember people telling me I was crazy. They're like, you don't even know this guy and you're going to move across the country. And I remember literally looking at this, this one lady, um, Kim Shui, looking her in the face and saying, something tells me that this will change our family's economic destiny. And I have to follow my intuition. And like, it was, you know, financially driven for sure, but it was also like, who could I become on the journey? And, uh, you know, fortunately he didn't live in like Midland, Texas or some crazy city where nobody wanted to go. Right. Like I brought my, my girl, again, she was my girlfriend at the time, my wife. Now we showed up in Austin. It was like, we both looked at each other like, heck yeah, this is way better than DC. And then to make things even easier, our apartment in DC got robbed the weekend we were in Texas. So we were both like, that's easy. We're moving to Austin. No questions asked had applied for a lease before we even left this place. And believe it or not, I moved to Austin, Texas to work for David. He offered me $25,000 a year to work for him. I was still working for Pat Hyman at the time, part-time. So I think my total sort of gross income was like 60, 65. Um, But I literally packed up and moved across the country and just something told me that, you know, this was right for us and this was our next thing. And and we did it. Um, So you know, to answer your question, it was really having a vision and then having courage to choose when it showed up. I think a lot of people have a vision and they think it's going to be wrapped in this red box with a bow on it. And when it shows up in a green, you know, cylinder, 
they don't choose it because they're like, oh, that doesn't look exactly how I thought it was going to look. And so I've just just had the courage to choose. Oh, following that up, as I, I think one of the things is I talk about, and, and I've heard you say this as well, is action creates, you know, like momentum or it opens up the aperture. And just sometimes like you don't need to know where or how to get to that end version of your vision and your goal or uh, the, the whole Alice in Wonderland where the Mad Hatter, like, where do you want to go? And it says, I don't, I, I don't know. And so it's like, it doesn't matter which direction you go, but for you creating that action and, and then making that decision to, to move down. I mean, you didn't start $25,000 a year, David saying, Hey, Matt, I think you got something. I don't know. Let's go try to figure it out. But now in that time period, and, and obviously, you know, I, I know, you know, uh, because of the transparency of, of GoBundance, David's net worth, since you've become part of that at a $25,000 a year to now being this, this implementer throughout everything in his life, you've helped him significantly grow his net worth. So like, what were some of those action things that you've done? And then how has that manifest out through your growth in the organization and as a, as a human, as a person? I would say, you know, the one thing that I try to, to coach implementers on or like integrators on is your highest and best use is to make sure the visionary is working on their most important things, whether it be three or five, whatever their most important things are. If you're pulling them back into anything but those three to five things, you are doing them a disservice. And I realized David was this, this brilliant deal sourcer, talent sourcer, visionary and if he was doing anything but those things, I was doing him a disservice. So to this day, I still try not to bring him into drama, gossip, litigation, mediation. Like I want him sourcing deals, talking to talent, recruiting talent, creating a vision for what we're trying to do. And then, you know, being a dad and a husband to his family, that's what he needs to be doing. And if I ask him to do anything but that, which I have to do from time to time, like it's, it's necessary, but I'm, I'm doing them a disservice by that. So I kind of try to keep that in the, in the front of my head. I've also been super, super fortunate, Jake. Like I've been around some amazing people like, you know, yourself, Terry Rose, who used to run GoBundance and be David's admins taught me a million things still to this day, love her and, you know, best, you know, best coworker ever. Like her and I used to run wind sprints in David's neighborhood. When we worked out of the house, we were always competing in something in the middle of the day. Um, you know, learned a bunch from her, um, very fortunate to have the family I have, like, you know, look a lot of where I'm at, I default and say it was luck. I, I know I've chosen, I know I'm, I've done some stuff to get here and stuff, but I just try to remain humble and keep David doing what he should be doing and keep learning and keep being learning based. Like when I talk to you, it's, you know, how can I learn from Jake today? What can I learn from Jake today? And then what can I give Jake today? And it's not like a conscious action anymore, but it's like, I know when I'm talking to you, if I've got another hotel deal or development deal or something else going on, like you're a sounding board that I can reach out to because you're an expert in the space. And what I've done in the role I work for with David is I've surrounded myself with experts in spaces that I can reach out to and sort of engage with at any moment in time to help us make sure we're making the right decisions possible. So whether it's a life insurance matter or a legal matter or a real estate investment matter, or a biotech matter or rupturing my Achilles. I have this amazing network that David's built that I've gotten to plug into that we keep adding to 
that has all these geniuses in their own space around it. And I just get to be the air traffic controller saying like, Oh, Achilles plane. I need you to come land and tell me what to do. Okay, great. Thanks. Now I need the recovery plane. Like, let's go find who's good at that and just sourced experts for everything we do. Are you guys enjoying the show so far? Look, two of the most common questions I get asked are where can I find good deals to invest into? And is it possible to invest alongside of our deals as a passive investor? So my team and I wanted to put together an insider list where you can get first access to investment opportunities, due diligence resources, and best practices for those interested in investing passively into deals like the ones we talk about on the show. Those deals are mostly in the commercial real estate space, but I oftentimes get exclusive access to deals of people like the guests on my show. If those deals pass our criteria, we pass them on to those on the list. To gain access to this insider list, all you have to do is go to www.catchkniveswithans.com and hit the big orange button on the top right of the page. We also host events, dinners, and give away VIP access to events that I'm speaking at or attending. Once again, it's www.catchkniveswithans.com and hit the big orange button on the top right of the page. For those that are serious about passive wealth building, we'll see you on the inside. Now, back to the show. So I want to put a pen in that because I want to come back around the implementation of things and really how you have become this integrator role and how you've been able to layer to that. So keep that in mind, but I want to jump out at kind of out of thing, your Achilles, bull riding. So how did you rupture Achilles, you know, riding bulls? I didn't, you know, you text me and I was like, I didn't know you rode bulls. So tell me about that. What happened? So again, one of the things that GoBundance preaches is you've got to feed your spirit. You've got to do things to get outside your comfort zone, whether it's climb a mountain, rock climb, skydive, go on an epic trip. You have to do things that sort of stretch your comfort zone. So when you're looking at a $10 million deal, you're like, well, I just wrote a bull and thought I was going to die. So this is irrelevant. Like this is an easy choice. Now I can just get analytical. So I've kind of become like an adrenaline. I've always been an adrenaline junkie, but I've kind of become more intentional about the adrenaline junkiness that I have. And uh, a couple of years ago, we were doing vision boards with our really good friends on new year's Eve. And uh, I remember I was like, okay, I want to do something epic. This was uh 2019. So this was, would have been for the 2020 year. So thank goodness COVID, right? Beautiful year. But I had this vision board and, and, uh, I remember my, our friends, Ryan and Tony laughing at me because I had a bull riding picture up there and they're like, you're going to ride a bull. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to ride a bull. How did you come to that? I'm like, well, I, I was looking through the magazines. I was like, should I go skydiving or should I ride a bull? And I was like, nah, I'll go ride a bull. Nobody can say they rode a bull. 2020 happened. Obviously we all know what happened. Uh, I was supposed to do a bull riding school, which hindsight probably would have been a logical way to do it. But that got canceled because of COVID. So then I'm like, well, I really was excited about that goal. I'm going to add it again for 2021. Sometimes we fail our goals for things outside of our control. And, you know, I could have pushed through COVID and tried to find a way to ride a bull and stuff, but it just didn't align. So I'm going to move it to next year. So 2021, I'm speaking at an Emerge and Ascend event. And they asked me, how do you stretch yourself? I'm like, I set crazy goals, like ride a bull. And uh, kids like, how are you going to do that? I'm like, oh, I found this boat riding school out of Dallas. I'm going to go. I've called the coach. I'm like, Hey, I don't want to do three days. Can I just pay you for a private session for one day? They're like, yeah, but it's eight hours. So I still wasn't excited about it. Cause I didn't, I don't want to become a bull rider. And the kid, this, this guy in the audience raises his hand. He goes like my cousin's friends, uncle's brother 
owns a bull ranch. Do you want me to connect you? I'm like, absolutely. That sounds like a great idea. So here we go, December 30th to uh, Junction, Texas, which I never even had heard of, two hours sort of southwest-ish, or maybe just straight west of Austin, um, to ride a bull. My wife came with me, our really good friends, Ryan and Tony, came with me. Everybody thought I was crazy, probably am a little bit crazy, and I wanted to just do something that was epic, right? Like, that just stretched me. Rode the bull, lasted almost eight seconds. They started yelling, get off, get off, because he was working his way towards the fence. So like, well, how do you get off a bull? I guess you just let go, right? So you let go, kind of got launched into the fence, landed in a weird way where my spur, which to this day, I still probably shouldn't wear spurs, but my spur got stuck in the ground. My foot landed on the fence and, you know, snapped my Achilles and uh, got up and looked at the guy. And I was like, hey, we never really talked about the dismount. He's like, the dismount's never a problem. He's like, people don't really make it out of the chute often. He's like, I can't believe you stayed on that long. And I'm like, I can't either, but. I think I'm hurt. And then, uh, you know, they wanted me to ride another bull cause I was supposed to ride two, which I think I'll go back and ride that other bull again. That, that Bobo was the bull's name. I was supposed to ride second, but you know, I knew it was snapped and, and people think, you know, I'm an idiot and I'll never do it again. But the adrenaline rush from sitting on that, that fierce creature that was just like breathing heavily, knew it was about to be showtime for it. Like my heart has never beat like that in my life. And even to this day, like, you know, here we are three weeks later, two weeks post-op and I sit and look at things and go like, compared to like the feeling I had to put my legs over the side of that bowl, like, man, this deal is small or that deal or that conversation's easy. Like that stuff's easy. So try to do things to stretch myself, to make things in day-to-day life, like put them in perspective and kind of say like, wait, that's not life and death. That's just an uncomfortable conversation. And I can have that. That's awesome. You know, and I also like the fact that you're, you want to go back to, to Bobo and, you know, conquer that, that, that second bowl. So uh, it's a little recovery process. Yeah. They, they, they kept saying Bobo is, Bobo is super nice. Bobo is like a pet. You can pet Bobo. And we like walk up and Bobo is in like the pen getting ready to like go into the shoot. And Bobo starts like scraping the ground and snorting and like, just is staring right at me. Like, I know you're coming for me and you will not win. And I was like, Oh my God, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? You know, the winning side of me goes like, I got to go back up and get Bobo. Get get Bobo for eight seconds, you know, and just be like, that's it. You know, uh, that's awesome. So back to your integrator implementing role, you know, things like that. That is something that is, is you know, kind of like a superpower that you've had. I don't think you've, uh, you know, obviously you had Terry that kind of helped put some systems and other things like that around it. But I hear a lot of people all looking for, for Matt Kings. Um, you know, I'm always looking for people, you know, to, to, as a a visionary to help integrate some of those in in the mundane to get stuck in the day to day. Like, so how do you one? I think, you know, start out, how did you discover that that was your superpower? And then secondarily is how do you like bring people, you know, you mentioned kind of coaching or helping some people out. Like, what is that, the, the next version, Matt King 2.0 or 3.0 expanding that beyond just how much work you can do? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I recognize quickly how, you know, I mean, what is it? Gino Wickman talks about rocket fuel, right? Like how quickly you can be rocket fuel for an entrepreneur. If you, if you're like a servant based individual learning based and like selfishly, you know, I'm in all these meetings with David. I'm going to all these places with David. Like I'm learning, I'm getting like an MBA and like entrepreneurship. Like I should have been paying him hindsight. Right. Like, I mean, I'm so fortunate to know what I know 
by being on the journey with him. And I realized quickly, like he was always late for meetings. I was working out of his house and it was like, first meeting might've been nine o'clock. And it was always like this, like tornado to get him out of the house, like yelling up the stairs. Where's my journal? Where's my notebook? Where's my wallet? Where's my glasses, my keys? I can't find my keys. Where's my coffee? And I was like, wait, what if we just put all this stuff in his car, back his car to the garage and just said, dude, everything's in your car. Walk out the front door, sit down, hit drive and go. And like, I saw how like drastic that made a difference in like his morning, right? Like it just made it this calm, like easy thing. Um, and I was like, well, where else can I do that? And that like, to this day is still like what I asked myself, like, how can I make his life easy? How can I make his life smooth so that he can spend his mental power doing his genius, which is creating a vision. And then, you know, passing that vision off to me and letting me implement. I think I'm also very, very, very lucky to have met David. The way he leads and the way he operates is very unique. He's very comfortable without a lot of details. He's very comfortable with a lot of like sort of vagueness around things. And he's very comfortable being an open book, living in a glass house. Like he doesn't, you know, he's very comfortable with people living in his email. He's very comfortable with people knowing where he's at all the time. And I think, you know, him being that way has allowed me to become the best I can for him because I know where he's going. I see his goals. I know his vision. I know how much he wants to donate. I know what he wants to do with his wife and his kids. I know where he wants to vacation. And so like, I can help align his world to do those things. You know, I think, you know, version 2.0 is interesting. I mean, David and I have explored some coaching things. I've talked to my sister about doing some public training and some public workshops. At the end of the day, my number one goal is to help other people and uh, leave, leave a legacy, like, you know, create something so big that it cannot live me and it cannot live my kids. And if, you know, helping entrepreneurs build an epic life is the way to do it. I'm all for it. I think I am always still looking for like talented people for David's organization too. I've kind of like no selfishly looking in the mirror with the DNA blueprint for a second in command looks like. Um, and I know like it's that server who doesn't have to write down your order and remembers to bring you a Coke when you've got a third of it left still. And you're like, Oh my gosh, thank you so much. And you know, it's, it's those little, little skills and, and knacks that you have to find an individual to be an integrator because it's not always glamorous. You're, you're behind the curtain and you're getting water and you're, you know, shoveling poop and you're doing like the things that, you know, you're not on the big stage like Elon Musk. Um, showing off the cyber truck, but you're the one making sure the cyber truck's on stage and ready to go when it's time to go. And so, you know, I, I think version 2.0 could look like training, could look like coaching, could look like helping people hire, helping people recruit. Um, and then most importantly, continuing to manage and grow David's, David's family office and David's net worth. And, you know, selfishly, it serves me too, right? Like the bigger he gets, the bigger I can get. And the bigger his world can get, the bigger my world can get. Um, and vice versa. So I, I, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it does. And it's, um, you know, I think something that people, you know, listening should take note because I was like, I, I want, you know, some of that. I want Matt King's insights into my world. And also, you know, how could he potentially help bring some of those, the things that he sees that, you know, uh, synthesize down. I have a question for you of that time period that you've been working for, David, and you have some you know, super amazing things. Like my mind is blown every time I get to sit down with David on some of the things, the systems that are in place. Like he was showing me, you know, some of his 
you spoke of his journals, journals, like he's, he's categorizing those to his different companies and how people and you or others have gone through that and just implement all the things that they can. And then are only leaving the things that are left to David. Like that was just, I was just like, that's amazing. That's so awesome. I love that. But it's not all sunshine and rainbows. What has been one of your, or maybe your favorite failure during that time period uh, of, of that growth that, uh, maybe lesson learned or just funny or what is this during that time period that you've been growing with? There are so many little things. I mean, and the funny thing is Jake, and this is, I think true of all of life. They feel so heavy in the moment and you look back and you laugh. Like I remember one time him and his friend, Hal Elrod went for flying a steamboat and we had his car at the wrong airport. So they landed at an airport 30 minutes away from the car but 10 minutes away from his house. So here he is, it's like 11 o'clock at night. He calls me, he's like, my car's not there. I'm like, it's certainly there. Like, I know it's there. I know it's there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's at the wrong airport. Like, wow. And you know, in the moment I was like mortified, I felt terrible and you know, they had their kids and their bags and it's winter and their ski gear. And you know, um, yeah, he wasn't thrilled and he wasn't happy. We look back and I mean, I kind of laugh about it. He probably doesn't even remember it, but it felt really heavy in the moment. Um, I think the greatest um, thing that you can do is you can fail and become aware of why you failed and you'll never fail again. I mean, we're human. We should fail every day. We should be making mistakes all the time. But now I know to make sure that the car is at the right airport because of that failure. So I learned from it. Now, if I did it a second time or a third time, I probably wouldn't be sitting here today. He probably been like, yeah, you know, that's one too many you're out. But one of the things I've always prided myself on, and I think it comes from my parents and, and my family and my sister and my wife is like, you make a mistake and you learn from it, you grow, you move on and uh, you pick yourself up. You don't beat yourself up. You go, okay, that sucks. I'm not going to sulk over it. I'm just going to, you know, move on. Actually, Wally was telling me the other day, he's reading a book about Tiger Woods. And I guess when Tiger Woods was young, he would give himself 10 steps to beat himself up over a bad shot on the 11th step. He had to move on to the next shot. And I think that's, you know, how you have to live life. Like beat myself up for an hour about that. And, you know, middle of the night, lost some sleep, got frustrated, whatever. But then the next day I was like, okay, cool. What can I do today to be great? What can I do today? So yeah, there's a lot of little funny quirky stories like that, where there's like little foolish things that happen where you're like, yeah, that was so dumb. What was I thinking? But it happens. Just, it just happens. Yeah. That's a, a it was interesting. So you, you, we were talking about uh, the Park City event uh, recently. One of the guys was talking about uh, they were making a prosthetic arm and, you know, they were trying to expand this to, to Africa. And they had this person that was going to volunteer to help them do that. And they made the arm and it was a right arm. And the person was missing their left arm. So, like, they made the wrong arm. And so it's just like some of these things that you're just like, all this planning, all these other things are just like, oh, it's the wrong airport. It's the wrong arm. It's the other things. And, and I mean, of course, and all stress is the same. You know, the car not being there and having to wait an extra 20, 30 minutes feels as intense as if you're losing uh, on a $10 million deal. Like, I mean, it, it, it feels the same. It's all the same internally. Uh, so, but then how to recover. I like that, the 10 steps. And I, I feel how is awesome at that too. He's kind of like monk-like and, and, you know, be like, can I change it? No. All right. I'm over it. And just moving and rolling on. So 
So what are some of the things, I mean, you, you talked about, and, and I want to try to wrap this up is give some, some kind of maybe tactical uh, things that people can utilize the vision that you were talking about, obviously creating a vision board, but uh, you know, David being an avid reader and go abundance, pushing these, you know, are there certain books or are there certain things that you've been exposed to that have um, really made it a big impact in the, that success of, of changing your trajectory in the, in the last call it 10 years? Yeah. I mean, I think tribe of millionaires is an awesome, easy read for everybody to read. I mean, whether it's go abundance or it's your friend circle or it's your family, we all need a tribe to connect with and a tribe that's going to hold us accountable to what we want. If you're hanging out with people that eat at old country buffet and McDonald's and Burger King, and you're like, I want to, you know, win the fittest man in the world, you're probably going to fail um, because the people around you aren't going to help support that. So Tribe of Millionaires is one of my favorites. Uh, Wealth Can't Wait is another one that I've read like a million times, obviously, because David wrote it. But the concepts around building wealth to me were like sort of mind blowing. Like I knew there was wealth to be made. I worked at a country club growing up and, you know, had seen some wealth, but never really gotten to experience it with like my hands and see it. And so like getting a book and applying the concepts and thinking about it was really like earth shattering to me. My favorite probably to this day book is Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. You know, it's a lot about stoicism and most importantly, just how literally the the title says like your ego is your enemy. Um, And I think, you know, to touch on the failures, oftentimes the reason we feel so bad during failures is because of ego and pride more than anything. Um, And so setting your ego aside, checking it at the door and going like, who do I need to be to be the greatest, you know, servant to this organization today? Um, I mean, it comes, it comes full circle automatically. It's like super amazing to me. So I think those are some like easy, quick reads that I suggest everybody read. Um, and then one of the books that I read really like early on in my journey was, uh, it's called like smart couples or quick couples get rich or like i'll have to sex it to you but basically the whole concept of the book was while you're dinks dual income with no kids live a hundred percent off of one of your salaries and save a hundred percent of your others and i remember my wife was making more than me at my at the time she was a teacher and i was like we're living in dc and i'm like we're gonna live a hundred percent off of your salary and we're gonna or excuse me we're gonna say live a hundred percent off of my salary we're gonna save a hundred percent of yours she's like whatever like you're crazy dude but she did it and then when we moved to Austin, an opportunity to buy a house showed up. It was like, you've got to buy that house. And because we made that decision for a year prior, in 12 months, we saved 100% of her salary. We had like $35,000 in the bank and could afford the down payment on the house, could afford to move to Austin, could afford all of these things. And it was like hindsight, it wasn't even that painful. Like in the moment, it probably felt heavy. It felt real. But like that little nugget in that book like literally catapulted us to be able to continue to make cool choices for like our family and our like, you know, sort of like economic situation. And I think that's true of every book, Jake, there's like one to three nuggets in every book that if you just take them and implement them, just one, just two, just three, like from every book, your life will change exponentially. Unbelievable. And that's, man, one of the things that I wish I got into earlier. It probably wasn't until like, you know, my thirties that I really started reading, you know, a book really. And and I I say this a few different times is leverage. Leverage is one of the most important things that exist in, in life is 
leverage, you know, from a financial mortgage leverage of using, you know, uh, having people in your life like Matt Kings that can leverage, you know, your superpowers to an exponential kind of component. Uh, leverage of other people's knowledge. And, and a book is probably typically like 10 or 20 years of someone's life that they're condensing down into, call it a three, four hour, you know, version of it. Those then they're getting those little nuggets and there's going to be little things in every one of those. And it's, it's, it's blown my mind. And that's why I try to get, you know, 50 plus books a year, why that tribe has been in each one of those I've not heard the, the whatever the smart couples. Uh, the- yeah, I mean, it's it's really for people early on in their journey. I'll send you the title so you can put it in like the show notes or something. It's- I, I do have kids. I had three, so I don't think that's going to work. But uh, yeah, oh, but, but, but I mean, honestly, we, we do that already. You know, fortunately, we're blessed. We're on the other side of some of those financial freedom uh, windows. But those, those things are important. Those things are important early. So this this has been. I mean, unbelievable. I mean, uh, I feel like, you know, you and I have known each other for years. Uh, every time uh, that I get a chance to spend time with you, I learn a, a, a bunch of stuff. And I feel like everyone out there has something to to teach you. And they have a unique genius. And, and I feel you know very privileged to have and tap into a little bit of Matt King's genius. So if someone's looking to get in contact with you or, and maybe you decide to do some, some coaching or implementation or other things like that, maybe it exists now, maybe it doesn't. How can people get a hold of you or the best place to try to, uh, to reach out? Or is there anything that people can do to add value to you? Yeah, I think um, to answer the last question, to add value to me is just to take action for your own life and your own destiny and your own choices. Like David said that early on in my, my career with him, he's like, you know, before I even was working for him, he kind of told me like the best thing you can do for me is to take action on what you told me. And Pat would say the same thing. And now I tell people that I'm like, man, I'll just keep giving until you stop choosing. Um, once you stop choosing, then it's easy for me, but I want people to be the best versions of themselves. If people reach out through David at davidosborne.com, all of that filters back to me. Otherwise I can give you my email. It's mking at droinv.com. People can email me and get a hold of me. I've, uh, I've, delete my Instagram frequently on my phone, but I've blocked, I've locked myself out of my Facebook account. So I literally can't get in. So if you Facebook message me, it will get to me at some point from somebody, but it won't be me seeing it today. It's just, man, it's such a time suck. So I just try to get rid of that stuff as frequently as I can. And then, yeah, I mean, Jake, I, I have immense respect for you. The, the man you are as a family man, the way you follow up with people on those run videos you send all the time, just checking in and and you just have a genuine heart. And I really appreciate uh, being on your show today. Awesome. Well, you guys, we appreciate you on Catching Knives. Obviously, a, you know, a contrarian investing approach. You know, you can see how people like Matt, you know, become that rocket fuel. If you don't have to be that visionary, you don't have to be that person that is, you know, the David Osborns of the world, the Elon Musk, there's, a, you know, and a greater percentage of people that can work underneath of, of that and get the accolades, you know, the, the backup quarterback, you know, the GM, Billy Bean of the, the Oakland A's, you know, putting the P, the right people on the right uh, bu- uh, seat of the bus. Matt is, is a massively successful at that. I appreciate the time guys. Thanks for checking out another episode. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on Passive Wealth Principles Podcast. Make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on. 
If the episode made you think of someone, go ahead and take a screenshot and share this episode with them. You can tag us or find us as a podcast at Catch Knives or me personally at Jake.realestate. For those investors that are listening to this and want to be able to take advantage of distressed investing opportunities, a perfect place to start is my best-selling book, which also happens to be called Catching Knives. It's a full breakdown and guide on how I and many of my partners take advantage of opportunities in distressed commercial real estate. Go to www.catchkniveswithans.com and grab the book there as there's a few book bonuses that I know you'll love. Once again, www.catchkniveswithans.com. Take care and I'll see you in the next episode.